This is CliffCentral.com. Welcome to the Understanding Cancer podcast, a series of key conversations that bring together all you need to know about cancer, empowering you with information and knowledge. This 10 podcast series is brought to you by Discovery. My name is Sonia Booth. Each week we chat to some of the country's foremost experts in the fields of health and wellness for cancer prevention, as well as in cancer treatment. We are bringing you fascinating insights relevant to every person out there. In our seventh episode, we are focusing on emotional support through the cancer journey. Today I'm in conversation with Norma Moller, a counseling psychologist. She is also a breast cancer survivor and she's been in remission for seven years. Norma joins us via Skype from Cape Town. We also have Nontlantla Dube with us in studio. Nontlantla is a clinical health specialist with the Cancer Association of South Africa. She is also a professional nurse and oncology educator. Ladies, welcome. Thank you, Sonia. Thank you very much. Let's start with the emotional support at diagnosis. Everyone reacts differently. Can you give us examples of some of these experiences or moments? You're correct in saying that it's very different, and I think it's probably an important thing to respect that people do have different experiences. It's quite important to listen as well and to not accept that everyone is having maybe the same type of experience, but to hear what people are going through. There are probably themes, though, I'm sure for many people, it's that old cliche of we, we tend to know that cancer can happen to anybody, but we still don't believe it will happen to us. So initially, to hear that you have cancer is particularly bad news, and it's very shocking and um, and, and, and traumatic. So all the things that typically happen when you're exposed or presented with something that's traumatic in, in any other situation typically can be your experience in um, hearing that you have cancer. Um, so I suppose some examples, total shock and disbelief, panic even, because I think the the reality is that cancer is a very um, traumatic experience to go through. But there's also a lot of um, additional hype and and fear attached to the remote chance of even hearing that someone has cancer. So it's a, it's a particularly weighted topic. So a lot of people panic initially. You need some time just to come to terms with the whole idea that you have been diagnosed with cancer. So, yes, different experiences, but I'm sure there's a lot to be said for many people do have a, a sense of complete disbelief um, or some form of fear, and, and, and if you panic and you're fearful, then there's a lot of emotion immediately as well. And so it's probably fair to say that if you're with somebody um, and you receive a diagnosis of cancer, it's it's ideal to be with somebody who can support you then, or to spend a bit of time with you and, and help you through the initial moments as such. No, no, is there anything you'd like to add on to that? Yes, thank you. I'd like to add... I, I really uh, concur with what uh, she's just said because, you know, the diagnosis of cancer to most people has got a connotation of, you know, 
death, some people will just think of death. So there are a lot of psychological effects that happen and they will differ with different people as she has just mentioned. You know, other people will even have, you know, denial. Denying that, you know, it can't be me or it can't be cancer. You know, they go through a lot of stages like it. Some will, after knowing that I'm diagnosed, a person can, you know, resort to isolating themselves because there's this fear, there's this disbelief, you know. So they go through a roller coaster of psychological effects, which, you know, we always have to reassure a person that this is normal because we are different. We respond to stimuli differently. If one thing can be told to us the same thing, I may respond differently. So, you know, it, it really calls for a lot of support because of this nature of some people will even have anger. How can I, when a neighbor was doing this, how can I have, you know, cancer? You know, anger, it's also another thing that will also be a stumbling block towards helping the person effective, but which is important to understand. So the whole thing is, you know, a lot of psychological effects, which we need to understand that it's normal and then come up with supportive measures in an appropriate manner. So, yes, psychological effects are very common and they come in different shapes yeah, for different people. And Norma, t- talking about um, individual needs and the varying support, emotional support mm. that is needed for me as a female mm. opposed to a male, as opposed to a child who's only 18 months old, because I mean, we, we, we do have uh, very, very young mm. cancer patients. You have different cancers. You're dealing with somebody with solid tumors versus blood cancers. So now, how do you even begin to give that emotional support that is individual to a specific person? All right. My point of departure when I work with people in general, as a a therapist, as a psychologist, is to say I won't start initiating any sort of formal support, irrespective of what the issue is, be it cancer, be it any other um, crisis or life challenge, without first listening to the person. So. For me, that's always a point of departure. So if we say people, different people with diagnoses of cancer have different experiences, then for me, that's the, the reason especially to say, start out by listening and, and actually then knowing where to um, start a journey of supporting that person. So I suppose, aside from what I've just said, there are probably general, um, you know, differences that some, if, if you say, um, think of a man or, or, or a male as opposed to a, a woman and how there are probably things that we could stereotypically expect and sometimes we're correct to say that male might be more inclined to um, be brave or not show emotions as such, try to be brave or assume that that's the right thing to do and that that equates to not showing emotions and just soldiering on. Where for women, I suppose socially it's more acceptable to be emotional and to show your emotions, which ironically probably helps you to be um, stronger as opposed to not showing your emotions. But I still think it's important to stop with the person you're working with and listen to them first and then work with what they need and as, as opposed to um, as a support um, person assuming what they need. Um, so, yes, and then I think in terms of the difference between ch- children or younger people and um, and adults, one of the things that, um, you, that we've already mentioned today is it's quite important to inform people and to tell them they're not alone or that 
give them a sense of what that what they are experiencing as being normal. Because as soon as you're able to say, um, get a grasp of you're not the only person going through that, then you will have a sense as well that you're not the only one in the whole wild world, as opposed to the fact, the reality being that other people also share that experience. Because I do think that takes away a lot of the the excessive. Uh, distress even, it's just understanding it's the whole principle of a support group even, it's just to know that there are other people who do actually share that experience and that given what you're going through and being diagnosed with cancer, there are certain normal things to experience. So it does give you permission in a sense then to also know that it's okay to be emotional or to go through whatever you are going through. And perhaps for younger people, there's more work to be done in informing them than for somebody who perhaps is more mature and who understands a little bit or by way of having more life experience of the fact that experiences like this may be normal. But also, again, not to assume, to to rather be with somebody in the moment, to listen to them and to give them what they need. And I mean, what's what's more important is is for us to realize that cancer counseling is not an event. It's a continuous process. And with that comes the the psychological stages. I mean, one minute you're in denial. I mean, nonchalantly spoken about, you know, you you, you even go through phases where you're like, why me? I'm angry. I'm bitter at the universe. There's the isolation, the emotions and post-traumatic stress disorder. Exactly. I'd say that we also need to remember that it's not a case of, uh, uh, both on the one hand, it's very important to inform people. You know, if you were able to understand that in yourself you can expect certain things, you can expect to go through certain emotional experiences, and somebody prepares you as much as that's reasonable to be able to do, then you know to some degree what to expect. Because I think the big thing about cancer and managing it is that it's a very uncertain experience. There's a lot of, of, of um, uh, there's a big component of it in my own experience. It was uh, the uncertainty is the most difficult part to manage in, in many ways. So to inform people and at least give them a sense of what to experience or what to expect at least, I think that's empowering. So you can tell people that, you know, it's normal. It's like any loss that you need to deal with. It's a process. You, you should go through it. It's healthy to go through it. You can't bypass it. And in going through it, there's certain things that you should experience or expect to experience. But having said that, you also identify that it's not a uh, clearly delineated experience that will be the same for everybody. And then if we look at the phases of, of loss and dealing with loss, a lot of people vacillate and experience them at different times or some are shorter and other experience that type, the, the, the same thing in a, in a more... Uh, extended way and sometimes we jump between phases it's it's actually just important I think to always know that we're different everyone's story is a very different and personal story and so yes we need to prepare people and then also allow them to to, to also trust their own experience and to um, know that within a certain frame of what to expect you don't necessarily have to be like everybody else because I think it's extremely important as well when you help people to um, prepare them to manage the whole pa- the, the, the treatment process, for instance, is to tell them what to expect. But also, really important to know that your story doesn't have to be everybody's story. Because in looking at um, at, at what people go through in cancer, the, the most traumatic stories are often the ones that are sad stories. And unfortunately, that's that's what people tend to think of first. Or when we when we're diagnosed with cancer, we think we'll be one of those bad stories. 
or we read on the internet and we get to see case studies and things. And it seems to be that it's quite easy to get a worst case scenario. And it's very important, I think, to give people a fair understanding that it doesn't have to be your story. There are many, many, many positive stories. And, and actually, I'd go as far as even saying, because that's my experience, that cancer can actually be a gift. It can bring things into your life that um, even though you never want to go through the experience again, you wouldn't want to lose. I think you need to give people a fair chance to see that that type of, of have those types of expectations. Norma, that is profound insight from your personal experience with breast cancer. Nontlantla, your view on really allowing a patient to express their personal reaction to cancer, what would that be? As a person is diagnosed with cancer, and for example, you're imagining myself being a, a clinical setting where the patients are going to be treat, treated, knowing that it's a long-term process that they'll be undergoing. So that initial assessing of the, 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 the patient, as, and that is the assessment we, which will include knowing where they come from, who they are, you know, their, their, their families and all that. That sometimes it becomes a very tedious process, but it's necessary to, to spend quality time and assessing the patient, asking all those relevant questions that could be on their initial contact or treatment process. And that helps us to be able to have a, 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 a good patient-centered approach because by so doing, you'll be able to, 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 to ask, talk to this person or already you'll be able to understand them, even their social, their psychological situation, even their social situation because that assessment, I'm, I'm seeing it as being very vital at at the beginning because, you know, an individual's aspects, they don't uh, 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 manifest themselves in isolation. But if you understand a person in totality, then it also helps us to be able to meet their needs, their psychological needs in in a very well thought out manner. Nontlantla, what is the role of the multidisciplinary clinical team in as far as supporting the individual in the early stages? When we have assessed them already, we will have identified the needs of this particular person. And either because the interdisciplinary team is important to try and meet the needs of the person in totality so that there isn't anything that is left out. So the interdisciplinary team members, for example, will involve, be it uh, the social worker, if there are any social problems, psychologist, be it the doctor, the chemotherapist or radiotherapist that will be treating the patient. It could also be a surgeon because if maybe the cancer that the person has experienced does maybe need some or has had surgical interventions, so that will be important. The list goes on. For example, it can even be a child who is has been diagnosed with cancer. So the teacher could be a very important part of that team. The nurses that are going to be maybe 24 hours with the patient are very, very important. So within this team, we always advocate that the patient must be at the center of the team. So the patient, that's where the, the question of patient-centeredness being very important because we might all have our expertise about how to go about with the cancer, but now 
this person needs to be informed so that at the end of it all, he or she understands as well what she or is about to go through. Much as that type of, that time of education, as we have just said, it may not be a once off event, but a continued process. So the importance of the interdisciplinary team is to ensure that we meet the needs of the individual in totality at whatever time when the person needs to, 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 to be attended to about whatever needs that may be identified. I'm glad that you actually just covered oncology care and yes. the importance and the role uh, yes. thereof. Norma, patients report that yes. specialists can be too harsh, that they don't make time for them. And, you know, sometimes patients fear asking questions because they, they, they just feel perhaps they, they, they're not going to be attended to or their questions won't be answered in a manner that will satisfy them in a way. I am actually, yes. Well, I've got quite strong feelings, and I think it's what I, um, I'm, I agree completely with what you know, Santa said just now. And and in, and in answering your question now, my sense is that, and it comes from my own experience when I did my treatment seven years ago, and from um, speaking to people who are my clients and, and have to work with specialists, I think they are incredibly amazing people in oncology and in cancer support because. You can imagine that people who do any type of work like this um, are called probably to do it, and it's it's not an easy journey to to work with so many people who who often are um, in such difficult situations. So we take our hats off in general to the people who are um, offering this support and the multidisciplinary support as well. And having said that, I think there are things that are probably just human and normal that that happen. And I think in my own experience. I am um, one of my biggest challenges, and that's one of the things that probably literally hurt me the most in my own treatment was a sense that I didn't actually completely, I didn't feel that the, the doctor I had, even though it was a very um, competent person, I, I think we had differences. And I, I, I felt at times that perhaps part of the, the, the problem, although it obviously relates, it's about a relationship and it comes from both sides, but I think part of it sometimes must mean as well that professionals, and I can include myself then in that if I see myself in my therapist role, we tend to sometimes, there's always a risk that you can become too um, almost blasé about people, especially because it's also a way of protecting yourself when you're exposed to many patients who are hurting and who have, and you need to just produce and it's a job that you do. So sometimes I think there's a risk that doctors or any other specialists, and I'm sure they're aware of it and they have to manage it, but that they can become a little bit to it's slightly impersonal and as I said maybe it's because they protect themselves in doing that so sometimes patients I'm sure are affected by that and then um, aside from that I think patients generally in the culture of thinking um, that a doctor is always the the, the, the final um, word so to speak you have to you have to listen the doctor is the, the person who knows best and we get a sense I think that in our culture maybe we don't always challenge a doctor and mostly, I suppose that's a healthy way of thinking about things. But I do also think there's room to say that if you don't get along with a professional, it's not so much, um, it's not wrong to, to, to look for somebody whose bedside manner you do appreciate. I think we need to encourage people who are going through cancer and cancer treatment to see that in, in, 
dealing, I think this is just generally my attitude as well, in coming through this in a well way and in a good way and in conquering it as such, you need to take ownership of your journey. And in part of that, it's very important to also give yourself permission to even challenge in a fair way the people who are supporting you. And if you feel as if you are um, at the mercy of a system that's not working for you, then it's okay to question it. It's also okay to perhaps find a second opinion sometimes. And I think we should encourage people to do that because it's very empowering to get a sense of um, being able to take ownership of where you're headed with your journey. So I'm not sure if that's, if you, if you, are comfortable with what I mean to say in that, but it's for me an important part of helping people to actually um, make sure that whoever is supporting them is giving them the support they need. Absolutely. So now, I mean, there's there's no doubt that uh, chemo causes uh, side effects. I mean, the hair falls out, there's weight gain, weight loss, you're missing work, and there's also a possibility that you're not able physically, and you you now even absent away from your from your kids, whether you're in hospital or you locked away in your bedroom because you you don't want them to see you in that state. So all, all this fear that comes about, you know, that, that must wreak havoc on your Im- emotional and mental well-being, right? I can again speak from my personal experience. I think you're really right. There's, you know, there, there's a lot, I think, for people um, who, who start a journey of needing to go through cancer treatment, one of the things that's, that's probably worthwhile remembering or being aware of is that a lot of the distress in managing cancer um, actually relates to the treatment. We we get ill because we are having chemotherapy. And I think it helps to remember that even though you are extremely ill sometimes and it varies, dif- different people react differently to the treatment. And that's not it's not pleasant, definitely. I, I'm, I'm not denying that at all. But it helps to remember that it's not the cancer at that point doing that. It's the treatment and therefore it will pass. So that's one thing too, I think, that does help because we go into treatment and we're so afraid because we actually have a sense that we just won't come out of it. And and in my mind, it starts to make it manageable when you remember that the treatment, which is helping to get rid of the cancer, unfortunately also affects your normal cells and makes you ill, but that can pass. So that's one thing. And then I think, again, um, in, in facing treatment, to be aware um, you know, when I started out with my treatment, the doctors explained to me what the protocol was, meaning that I needed to get so many rounds of chemotherapy and after this uh, process, I'd be getting radiation treatment and there was an initial operation at the beginning. And in my mind, when, when I'd been given that information, I was grateful for it because it helped me to say, I know now what to expect. And now I laugh about it because I actually planned accordingly. And then what happens is you go into treatment and you start with the first round of chemo and you can only have your second treatment after, in my case, it's just 21 days if your body is um, is ready for it, which means blood tests and, and things have to be done. And immediately after the first 21 days, my body wasn't ready for the second treatment, which means the second treatment was delayed, which means there was a knock-on effect and the whole process became longer and that didn't happen once it happened a few times so i think one of the things that people need to know is that there's a lot you don't you don't know what to expect but if you already hear that 
people have different experiences and that there can be a change to that regime, the doctor says at the beginning will probably be your course. I think that would help, you know, because it's, again, something that helps you to know what to expect, if that's making sense. So, um, yeah, and, and coming back to your question about fear, fear often relates to the unknown. And, and for me, the thing about my hair falling out, um, it was a terrible thing to contemplate. It felt like, wow, that's the one thing I almost like about myself and now my hair is going to fall out. And then when it did actually fall out, it was an extremely liberating experience, which was surprising. Maybe it was just because, okay, now it happened and so I can carry on. But it wasn't as bad as I'd expected. So the fear, again, is is always about not knowing what to expect. And maybe I'd really like to be able to say from my experience, to all the women who fear what will happen when their hair falls out, that it's actually not that bad, or at least I'm an example of someone for whom it wasn't that bad. I wore hats, I wore scarves, I did all types of things that I would never have got to do if I hadn't had that experience. So, yeah, sorry, uh, that, that just from my personal perspective. And I know that one of the things that you were happy about is saving money on your shampoo and conditioner, right? Because <laughs> I also believe, oh, I, I believe that you also got a henna tattoo on your head. I did. I did. I actually am very proud of that. It was quite a moment to put a picture on this bald head. And yeah, it obviously doesn't last forever because it's a henna tattoo, but it was something and it was a bit of a statement. And I got to do something that I would never have done or contemplated having the opportunity to do. So I suppose sometimes it's just about also saying, you know what, I'm going through this. I wouldn't choose to, I don't want to have chemotherapy. I don't want to, but now that I'm in it, what can I do? Or how can I make it not only just bearable, but you know, how is there something for me in treatment in cancer about taking ownership of the process? I've already said that. It's just to say that you're a survivor or to just say I'm getting through that is so it's fine. It's cool to be a survivor as well. But but to actually say, well, how am I going to manage this? How am I how am I really going to take charge of it? In a sense, the, the, it's a it's a difficult thing to put into words. But there's a capacity in us all to decide to claim the process in a way. You can't change it. You have to go through it. And so it's about deciding how you go through it. And I think there are definitely things that you can do to go through it in a way that's really empowering, despite the illness. And I say that with respect because I, I realize it's not perhaps an easy thing to actually implement. Absolutely. Nonsense, the lack of psychological and financial support can negatively affect the entire healing process, right? Exactly. Definitely. That can really affect the entire process negatively because the person will have, you know, worries and concerns about what is the next step? Psychologically, it helps you a lot if you are financially well uh, 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 prepared for whatever eventuality that can come in. You know, also just as she, she was talking about the importance of the individual with cancer taking charge of the process, you know, that is very, very key. And, but what helps one to be able to take charge of that process. Earlier on, we talked about, you know, the rights, you know, when we are, you are informed about your disease and if you feel uncomfortable. I'm just coming back to this because trust is very, very important in terms of the team that is, is helping you. And also another aspect that I would just like to bring in at this stage, which helps a person 
be it financial problems or social problems, your spirituality also comes in being very key in terms of helping you to go through the process. Of course, there are a lot of whatever ways that we believe in, but that's why there must be that uh, interaction and advice because I may not have some spiritual beliefs that may be detrimental to my care. So when bringing in some of the factors that may affect a person negatively, if you've got this a foundation of support that has been built, you know, in trust, in open communication, in, in, in viewing you as an important person. For example, you are talking about finances. That's why when we talk of the, the team, for example, social workers become a very important aspect because let's say a person has been uh, diagnosed and this person is a breadwinner. Somewhere, somehow, the financial uh, issues will come in, kick in as a problem. Maybe also they may even have difficulty in taking time off work, which will also, you know, impact on their financial situation. But at the same time, if they cannot follow the prescribed or the ideal process that has been prescribed for their ill health, then there will be a, that will be a problem. So their kind of social workers or any relevant referral will be ideal to help and support this person. You know, so it also brings us to not just having the team, but having the team to ensure that any needs are met for this uh, particular person. That's why, for example, you know, we may, we live in South Africa, (laughs) where there is this process now of coming up with the NHI national health insurance, you know, where we are calling really that if only the government can do this so that there are no people that are disadvantaged, that cannot maybe afford finances when they are having a life-threatening illness. So these are all the, the issues that need to be taken in consideration, consideration of because even our well-preparedness in terms of medical aids or in terms of finances when such a disease like a cancer come about, we may not be the same. So that's why we have to think broadly and really make sure that everybody has got a fair access to treatment as much as possible. And then another worry is that um, the patient is not the only person that's affected, the entire family exactly. unit. I mean, there can be disruptions where you need, you're needing to be rushed to the emergency room in the middle of the night or even during the day when, you know, there's, there's hard, most family members, some of them are at work or some are at school. Exactly. But then now, and then some other family members are worried, what should we feed you? Are we taking care of you in the right manner? Are we giving you the right emotional support? What can families do, you know, to adequately support? support? Obviously, it can never be enough because, you know, p- different people, some people want their space yes. and they want to shut themselves in their bedroom, as, as I've said earlier. And, and some people just really need for somebody to constantly knock on the door to check, are you okay? So what do you do as a family member? The role of the family is very, very important. You know, like we would say, it's a family whether a, or a significant other because a person that is significant to an individual is their family. The, role, the question of being 
patient-centered being very important there, not being prescriptive as who is the family or not. So, you know, the, the family or significant other, they are so important because if, if it's an adult, that could be a spouse. And we know, even us, when we were trained, we knew that if an individual in a family is sick or is ill, the other family members will also be ill. So that's why it's, we cannot not uh, involve the family within the conversation and within the need of us, of, 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 of helping this family. The question of assessing properly the patient and their social situation comes in here. Because if I'm a family member and maybe I'm a mother, I could be having children that are looking up to me in terms of every day because there are roles that we play as family members. So now, to bring in the family even early in the early stages of this disease and uh, find out about their fears, find out about their concerns, what needs to be done for them in terms of meeting their needs, whereby you bring in that interdisciplinary team to help with the person. So family is very, very crucial because cancer can even affect your intimate you, your, your intimate relationships, depending on where the cancer is. For example, us as women, our breasts are very, very important. And in our intimacy, the breasts are very important. And breast cancer, when you are diagnosed with breast cancer, already some people can even think that, my God, my womanhood is, go is going. What is going to happen with my partner? So that's where at early in the disease process, the question of also nurturing that support or that relation, helping the people to come together. Hence, I was saying earlier on, the, you know, person-centered care being important and also helping them to, to alleviate any fears that they are having and have inter interventions that will also bring the family together. And, you know, also talking about the importance of the family, if a child, for example, has been diagnosed, there's going to be, you know, ch children, if they are weaned from their families, Obviously, they may not be able to cope well with the treatment. So the psychological preparedness and understanding that, you know, my family is here, my children are well taken off, and I'm not going to lose out maybe in school. It makes a person to be psychologically ready and be able to go through the treatment process because, as we know, treatments are very, very harsh. So imagine if physically you are not well, psychologically you are going to be affected. And if psychologically you are worried about a lot of things, about your relationships, about your family, so you are bound not to be able to cope with the treatment. So family is very, very important, whatever, whether you are single parent, because also there are even single parents who've got children. So imagine when they've got cancer. So all this making sure that such aspects are, are, are taken care of, it helps the patient to go through the treatment journey in a reasonable manner, knowing that all their significant people are taken care of and their significant people are also there to support them, you yep. know, during the, the, the treatment process, be it taking them to the 
chemo or taking them for radiation, just sitting there, being there, holding their hands, it's very, very essential. So the family, involving the family according to the patient's needs, it's very, very crucial in the whole process. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Norma, now in the case where an, an, an adult uh, is, is diagnosed, how can social workers liaise with, with the school, for example, to give support to their child? The system probably most mostly um, introduces, that was in my experience, the, the role of the social worker. So you, you, in, in my experience, it was the, the, the doctors almost direct you or involve the social workers. So I would expect that that, that, that person's role is to um, get to know the people, the patient, him or herself, and understand their need. Because to be able to just go into a school situation and work with children, they're all different. They come from different contexts. I think that, that social worker has an extremely valuable role to play, but it's a facilitation role. So it probably, in my mind, starts with actually assessing that specific family's needs. And... Um, Again, listening and and helping them to actually be prepared in terms of what to expect. My sense, if you speak of children, is that a lot of times children are fine as long as they, even if they, there's a problem, even if there's illness and they're aware that there's illness and that mommy or daddy is being treated um, and needs to go to hospital, those children will be relatively okay if they also understand that there is a plan and that there's a reason and that they're quite secure in that the adults around them seem to be okay. Mm-hmm. So we actually end up projecting whatever our emotions are onto our children and creating either certainty or uncertainty in their minds. So to include them in a, an age-appropriate manner so that you're honest with them and that you know children won't be afraid of illness if they know that illness is part of life and we need to deal with it in certain ways, it's actually a life lesson. It's, it's, a, it's an honest way of, of equipping them for life. So I wouldn't say it's appropriate to hide them from the process, but to include them in an age-appropriate way, which is safe and which is protected for them. And so I'm sure the social worker is somebody who's very equipped to help um, in, that, in that way. And Nontantla, as a friend, how do I support my friends when their child is diagnosed? So as a friend, you know, friendship, most of the time we end up being family with the friends. You know, your your friends become the most best sister that you can talk to. So even then, it's, it's, it's about being there for your friend. It's about finding out what can I do for you. How can I help you during this time? Being there to make sure that the process is, is, is made as easy as much as possible. So friendships really play a very, very important role as well. As I say that they can just also become as good as family. But also maybe just to come in, just to add, you know, on, on the support for the children as well. You know, for example, you know, at, at the Cancer Association, there are these, uh, TLC homes where they, they provide a tender loving care, though the actual TLC coming from the fact that it's acknowledged that it's tough living with cancer. So there, you know, there will be children's uh, uh, play, especially because cancer centers are, are very few. 
they're not all over South Africa. So you find that the pe- people that are diagnosed coming from rural or semi-rural areas where there's no cancer treatment. So these care homes and these TLC homes are there to help during that p- process of, of going for, ke- for chemo or for radiation on daily basis. So the mothers will also be accommodated where the children are, are, are getting their treatments. And the friends can also come in and visit or maybe take the children to school or whatever. So p- places like the Cancer Association, they do help with such facilities to make sure that the support is maximized as much as possible as, as, as the, the, the social workers are also available. And of course, also it brings in the important element of home-based care because certain people at home, they may be there not having proper support at home. So in our ensuring that the treat, the care is continued properly, we always advocate for home-based care where somebody can go into the home setting and support because not everybody is admitted continuously. Other people are being discharged there at home during the treatment and there could be a need for support. So that community-based care also becomes important. Be it it's a volunteer, whether it's a friend or it's the family, because but the family, it's very important to note that they also need support during that time when their loved one is having treatment of, of cancer, which takes a long time, most of the time. And now let, 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 let's look at, at a scenario where you are faced with a young couple and one of the partners has been through cancer treatment and then now the conversation around infertility. How do you go about supporting such a couple? I mean, they're young, they have plans to start a family, but now there's a possibility that they actually might not be able to conceive. You know, it's 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 very important. That's why we keep on saying counseling, information sharing, it's not an event. It has to be a continuous thing. You know, in such a scenario, I think the oncologist that has diagnosed or that will be treating this person becomes very key initially to share the information because the question of infertility depends on where the cancer is and also depends on the type of treatment that the person is going to get and or the type of chemotherapy that the person is going to get. So for me, it's, it's very key at the beginning for the doctor to tell the person about their diagnosis and about the treatment and the possible effects of the treatment so that people can make a well-informed decision at that stage because we always say early early treatment is, is key. But now that will be an opportunity of discussing alternatives if a person, if there is potential for infertility after the chemo, after the, the cancer and the chemo or the radiotherapy. So that's when a person will have to be informed about alternatives that are available because there are alternatives, you know, of maybe uh, fostering or, 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 or even uh, adoption. But remember, it's, it is a process and not everybody will react very well. That is the time that calls for really support on a continuous basis, be it therapeutic with social workers or whatever. But it's, it's, it's a very sensitive uh, topic which needs really proper uh, uh, time 
even if the person has got questions, because as I keep on saying that it's not an event, they might have been informed, but there must be openness to say, should you have any questions at any stage, and then please don't hesitate. And that in presence of the, the team, ensuring that you are supported psychologically and what could be your, your, your alternatives becomes very, very critical with such sensitive uh, post- potential results of infertility and not being able to have children. And the importance of ensuring that the, the partner is also supported so that they can support their, their, their uh, significant person that has been affected and having the, the potential problems of having infertility. Let's look at another form of equally important support. Is it always important to talk about the possibility of palliative care early on in a person's cancer journey? Very, very important. You know, the World Health Organization, when, when it de- defines uh, uh, palliative care, they do mention that the role of palliative care is there even early in the disease process. In other words, at diagnosis, palliative care measures must be introduced. And then if and when the disease is not uh, 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 controlled or the curative measures have mainly controlled the disease, then palliative care takes the major role. So in other words, what palliative care involves, it it involves your meeting the physical needs, meeting the psychological needs, meeting every other needs that the person might have. So all what we are talking about, for example, advocating for interdisciplinary measures or advocating for proper pain control, those are aspects of palliative care. Sometimes you may not say now we're doing palliative care, but the approach has to build in the, the, the palliative care measures because palliative care stands for quality care. So yes, it is appropriate to ensure that palliative care is introduced early in the disease process like we've been discussing. And if the disease is not maybe being controlled as as just desired, uh, maybe the person is in an advanced stage, then the palliative care measures become more and more. Because one of the very important aspects of palliative care, it's about proper pain control. You know, as we when we study about pain, we learn that pain is a total pain. It's not only physical. You know, for example, if I may just bring this in, you know, when I mean I grew up in my in my in the in the in the nursing profession, more working in in oncology, I had this very passionate uh, radiotherapist who would always say that she learned that, you know, if a person has got no roof over their head their pain is going to be worse. You know, she was just relating that to in early days, you know, when people, if they, they didn't pay their bonds or their rents or whatever, their houses would be will be taken away from them because the person, like we're talking about the social problems. So she had this person, this male, who had severe pain and he was the breadwinner and his house was to be uh, confiscated back and he was worried about his family. But this this information was never identified early in the process. He was on such good 
pain control medications, but his pain was, was not controlled. Eventually, after she interviewed, because this doctor was very passionate, sometimes he would come in for ward rounds, wouldn't ask you the nurse or this, this junior doctor, he would just go and hold the, pers- the patient's hand, hand and ask, how are you feeling? And he wanted, she wanted to know more what was happening, only to find that the, pa- the patient was worried about the house and the rents and all that was not being sorted out. And that, and she made efforts that those problems were sorted out of the patient. After a day or two, the pain was controlled with the same measures that were, were done previously. She even said, I have learned that a roof over your head can control your pain. So in other words, it's about saying, identifying the problems in, in totality and meeting them in a comprehensive manner, not in isolation, to make sure that the patient is, 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 is helped comprehensively. I love that you speak about a holistic approach because exactly. Discovery has holistic programs such yes. as the Advanced Illness Benefit, right? Yes. So, so uh, pa- pa- patients can make, can make use of that because th- those avenues are available to them. That, that's wonderful, you know, to have such prescribed uh, benefits for the patients because you cannot help a patient with cancer without such. So it's, it's, it's commendable to have a discover having that holistic or comprehensive approach to helping the person according to the needs that they have in totality, which actually even must include the, 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 what I was talking about, that follow-up care even in the home setting, that is very wonderful for the patients. And it's good to create that awareness because sometimes the patients, they don't even know what they're entitled to. So that's why it becomes essential to inform them as much as possible about what they are entitled to as they're having this. Because when you're sick, sometimes you don't even know what is available there for, out there for you. Something that can't be avoided is the advanced directive. What is the importance of that? Sure. The advanced directive becomes very, very important. That's one of what we, one of the things that we advocate for in terms of uh, planning, you know, f- for for your health and how to be cared for. You know, sometimes we find that people, we, we, we tend to plan or think about how to care for a person only when they are ill. Whilst it is important to make those plans when you can still make your own decisions, when we are still well to say, when I get ill, this is the type of care that I would like to, to have. So to have you know, advice and information sharing about advanced di- directives about you know, when I, when it happens that I get ill. It, it's very, very important because when we are no longer able to make decisions for yourself, the family may also find a hard time to make the most appropriate decision for you because families are also having individuals that may have their own ways of seeing things. But if there is an advanced directive that has been put down, and I also believe that for any individual to be able to put down and say, this is what I would like to be contained in in this advanced directive, they also have to be well advised so that I don't make expectations or make suggestions that are contrary to what is available or what is legally 
uh, out there. So mm-hmm. the importance of making advanced directives, it, it cannot be, you know, overemphasized that it has to be done because at the end it will support your care, the kind of care that you would like when a certain stage of your inability to care for yourself comes and also it will be able to support the family to make decisions about what needs to be in place for you during that particular stage. Noma, what other resources can you recommend that are out there, you know, whether it's support uh, programs, uh, for example, that people can access? Mm. There's so many facets or aspects that we can um, uh, use or utilize, and it's about informing people and reminding them, because remember when you busy with cancer treatment or facing the prospect of treatment, there's so much emotion and I think there's so much almost inability to be objective. So for us as as professionals who support people, I think it's quite important to inform them and to remind them of the various aspects and for a patient as well, one of the things I would encourage people to do is to say, it's a time in your life when when you should use all the resources that you have available to you and one of your resources is your family and even the friends and people you can support that can support you. We equip other people to support us when we tell them what we need. You know, so so people around the patient, the loved ones, they're very fearful. They feel perhaps even more out of control because if you're the patient, you still have a sense of you're the one going through this and even though that's terrible, it's um it's actually in some ways possibly a more empowered position than to be the spouse or the loved one who doesn't actually have any control or isn't in, in it even as much as you are. So in informing people and telling them what you need, you actually um, make it possible for people to be more empowered and to know what you need and you will forget what you need, so to speak. I mean, just to, to come to continue with what you've just asked me, I think the support and the resources lie in um, in taking care of yourself, I suppose, while you're going through treatment in as best you, way you can. So if that means, like you were saying just now, that um, there are other concerns and other worries that cause you to not be able to manage pain. And, and if as we as professionals are able to, to do something about the other concerns, like in your example just now about having a, a roof over your head, then um, we we need to be aware enough so that we can actually look at those aspects. And then for a patient to know that they have opportunities or access to, to, to ways of dealing with those other problems, um, because as you've just said in your example, that would help them to actually get on with healing or feeling better and feeling less pain. Um, so in keeping with managing yourself and looking after yourself, I think to deal with pain sometimes means things like, learning how to rest, learning how to take time out from, uh, how to accept this This is a time in your life when you're going through treatment where perhaps you can't do all your normal things and to acknowledge and accept that makes it actually easier to go through it. Perhaps to accept and to allow other people into your life and to use them as a resource to cope. Because remember, a lot of us, we don't like being vulnerable. or We don't want to depend on others. And it's quite challenging to be able to do that. And the sooner you can do that and see it as actually a way of utilizing a strength, not so much as being weak, the better you're able to cope. I was extremely intent on being healthy and and I was very um, inspired to say, well, how could I do, I, I couldn't have a, perhaps a total outcome of whether I ever um, have ca- cancer recur or not because I'm in remission. I still don't know what the future holds, but I can, in a sense, fight it in my way by being quite healthy or 
doing certain things that, that are possible. And I, th- I think that what I'm trying to say is there are people and there are things that you can do in your life that are empowering, given that there are times when we don't feel at, um, all energized or is too weak to do it, but there are other times where it's possibly something that you have um, access to or someone you can speak to. And, and another resource is definitely to speak to other people who are have gone ahead of you and not to read too many negative stories, but to actually also know that there are extremely wonderful, um, positive stories of success and healing. So I think those are the types of things that you need to be aware of that, that you could expose yourself to in terms of using your resources. Nantlantla, would you like to add anything to that? Very, very important what she has just said, you know, of that, that ability, if you are diagnosed, to make sure that you don't always be the one that is strong, but use other people as, as, as resources. And as earlier on, as I've also talked about the importance of your spirituality, what you believe in, you know, we, we've seen that allowing the spirituality of a person to play a very important part during their illness, it becomes a very important resource for a person to go through through the process. And also something that I would like to also mention is that, you know, there's so much information out there, but not all that information may be speaking to one's individual situation because you know we find that people will google this this and that and that you <laughs> yes. know, and, and 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 think that they've got all the answers or maybe ask questions or that information overload confuses the hell out of a person you know so it's very important to 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 have trust and have people that even if you do get some information but don't take it at face value that this is what is going to affect me but find out from the people that's why the team must be accessible and must be approachable and be available to help you know allay whatever fears that an individual might have Ladies, thank you for sharing key insights from your professional and personal experiences today. I am sure our listeners are far more sensitized to what supporting those affected by cancer really means. I know I am. Thank you very much. Thank you for having us. We've been talking all about emotional support through the cancer journey. To listen to all the episodes in our 10 podcast series, go to discovery.co.za forward slash corporate forward slash podcasts. In our next episode, we will explore cancer survivorship. With me in studio will be a doctor focused on survivorship care, a unique focus in the South African medical world. And we will also hear from a survivor of recurrent cancer. I think she's one of the most dynamic and inspiring people out there. All brought to you by Discovery. This is CliffCentral.com.